0: My biggest lesson, life lesson, where that I I learned to ask for help. I learned that if I'm going to do this, my recovery with all those mental issues and all the self-esteem issues and everything, I needed to ask for help. And I did that. I went from a criminal person that didn't open his mouth ever, you know, because that was uh, that was the work ethic, we don't speak, we don't talk. And it went from being that person to a person that said, well, I can't do this, I need help. Can you please help me?
1: That was Norwegian gunrunner, Aman Vistad. and this is the Running Deep Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you listening to this week's episode of the Running Deep Podcast with me, your host, Kent Mullins. First of all, just want to get some housekeeping done. Uh, If you are enjoying the podcast, please take two minutes out of your day to head over to the Apple Podcast app and uh, leave us a review, leave us five stars, anything at all goes towards the, the larger goal and you know the higher the uh, podcast rates the more people get to see it in turn the more people I get to affect so you know it's a win-win for everybody and it just helps me uh, you know get out there to more sponsors or anybody looking to help help out this podcast which brings me on to my second point uh, for all of you listening if you have anybody in mind or any uh, businesses local businesses at all, that you think would suit uh this podcast i am looking for a sponsor i am looking for some uh financial support because it does cost me uh to do to do these episodes especially in person not so much over zoom at all it's just more my time but in person it does cost me uh do, through doing it through social lab um uh, but yeah it's not heaps but it it does cost cost me money and with having two children and a family to support as well it does get quite difficult so you know there will be irregularities with my podcasting posts so yeah please bear with me I am trying my best to get out um, these episodes hopefully on a weekly basis if I can get a sponsor on board Uh, but yeah please if you know of any uh, any local businesses or any businesses at all or, or anything that you think would suit uh, this podcast please let me know you can uh, you can uh, contact me via my social media pages or anything in the show notes but yeah let's crack on with the episode now this episode I'm really really excited uh, to give to you guys as let's say a Christmas gift we are in uh, well it's 2nd of December and it's christmas time we are officially in to the festive season and look this is my gift to you guys i wanted to get one more special guest in uh before the end of the year and i think this uh, this is a perfect perfect example of that now armand Vestard, the norwegian gun runner is someone that came across my radar through email he reached out to me a very long time ago and we've tried to you know get timings right especially when he's on the other side of the world um but yeah it finally worked out we finally got it done and i'm so so honored and humbled to bring you this episode you know we dive deep on you know his upbringing how he turned from a normal child to a hardened criminal now when I first heard of this guy and I read did a bit of reading, I just thought it was you know a, a bit of drug dealing here and there. No, this guy is the real deal. He is a hardened or ex-hardened criminal turned mental health philanthropist. like he is a very, very switched on guy um, and and he's turned his life around and he, his story is absolutely amazing. so without further ado, Let's get it done. Let's listen in and enjoy. Please take the time to listen to what he has to say because he has some truth bombs in there that will blow you away. Enjoy the podcast, guys, because I know I definitely did. We are recording. Cool. Um, Armin Vestad, did I say that correctly? Yes perfect um look all the way from Norway, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast with me and um, sharing your incredible incredible story
0: really honored to be uh, doing this with you Thank you Kent Kent, it's, it's, it's an honor to be here uh, in the early morning from Norway
1: oh, it's at seven o'clock and you've just it had is' a lot of time. seven a.m. Awesome. Well, I'm, yeah, again, soup. as I just said before, I'm really, really excited for this. Um, and I think my audience will really, really appreciate you and what you have done uh, in your past and what you're doing now. And I, I think the best way to start this podcast off is to sort of introduce who you are um, and then we can dive into, you know, your early childhood or early life and progress that way so if you want to introduce yourself to everyone and just explain the basics of who you are
0: yeah i'm a 48 year old man from norway and a husband of three married and i have one kid at 25 years and my two other kids are four and six years so i have yeah it's a bit of an age in between my yeah. kids i do work as a Mainly as a public speaker, yeah, uh, and I have some expert fields in personal finances and also in how to change a life, which go, we're going to talk about uh, later. And I live in Trondheim in uh, in Norway, and uh, we have snow now at the, at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: awesome. Um, so I think you know. Like, let Let's start from y- your early life, um, because. I read an article that you're or you're known in Norway as the uh, Norwegian gunrunner. Um, yes. Now, With that, you know, your whole story. So, so let, let's go back. Like you're you're an ex you ex criminal. You're an ex hardened criminal.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, so, yeah, and and if it looked 20 years back in life and not many would even guess that i would survive so um me now being a public speaker where i can use my own experience in in helping others from prevent getting where where i have been and yeah. also um, helping people uh, from the darkest places Um it's an absolute honor for me to to be in that place now but um yeah, we can start um, to tell why I think it happened that I became a criminal because I can't blame um, parents that were abusing drugs or they were, mm. they were beating me or anything. I had, I had a completely normal childhood um, and I was eldest of three, uh, three siblings, four siblings, um, yeah. and the same, same mother, same father. We grew up together and uh, on a little island. Uh, a beautiful island um, in west of Norway, uh, where we only had 150 inhabitants living there. So uh, it was it was mostly farmers. Still yeah. today, I can smell this um, the yeah and the smell of farmers and and um, uh, grass and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a beautiful place to grow up, really. Yeah. But um, I, I also remember that I was a kid that liked to meet new people and I liked to be among a lot of people. Uh, and I've, I found myself in happy places where I could um, be in the center because I, li- I like to entertain already as an as a 8, 10 years old boy. But when you're living in, in this island where you have only three people in your class, mm. only three people there was no place for me to shine, uh, from the strength, um, strength I had as a well, kid. You, you can so, already see where, where this is heading. Like you, you want,
1: you want to stand out, you want to be someone and okay. It makes sense. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking forward to, uh, to when I uh, the age where, uh, I was going to shift to, to another school, um, at the age of 13. Uh, and, um, and because that school were uh, on, on the, on, not on the island, but uh, on Molde, a small city um, where there were yeah, 30, 40 persons in, in the class. So you can really pick who uh, you want to be friends with. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I was, I was going for five, six, seven years and just waiting for this moment where I could choose my own friends mm. with the same interest that I had um, because I loved football Uh, and love playing that and no many people on the island love to do that so but when i get to this new school um, i didn't get that new friends that i was looking for because people from this island we were yeah we were farmers in those those other kids eyes you don't belong here you you can go back to where you come from you can go to your father and helping with uh, the farming industry even mm. we we're not farmers so so um i remember that was really hard for me uh, and that was an age of 13 14 years old mm. and um mm-hmm. so but i i remember that i i um, i asked my parents if i could move to my grandfather he was living in molde just behind the new school uh, because I was playing football and uh, all the trainings uh, from the football were were at the Moldes side. So because uh, and we have to take ferry to the island of course there were no bridge or anything there mm-hmm. so we need to take ferry uh, and um, I remember to, to save some time with the transport I convinced my father and mother um, can I just please stay with my grandfather a couple of days a week so I don't have to to take the ferry home because now it's 11 p.m. and and and, and mm. uh, it's it's too late you know so if i can just stay with my grandfather we i don't have to travel that much and they saw that i needed a place where i can achieve something get yeah. new friends and yeah so they let me that, do that and with that said i i moved to my grandfather at uh, at the age of 13 and my grandfather he gave me some money because he was a generous man and uh, he didn't he thought it was good to have a, 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 a 14-year-old in house. So, so he was giving me money. And, and with that money, I realized that all the people that I didn't get into from before, those mm-hmm. who bullied me a little bit, they were accepting me now because I had money. Mm. So I, I at the age of 14, I get addicted to the feeling the money gave me and that that addiction that feeling i took with me uh, into the early adult years i would say Mm. Uh, even though i had really good friends at the age of 15 16 but i i care i i used the money to get new friends and i used money to have the right clothes because you needed to have the right clothes Mm. and it was not cheap clothes um so i had a very high consume of money and i Mm. even took some money from my grandfather so I was crossing a border at the age of 15 I was taking money for the first time from my grandfather and in the beginning I wasn't supposed to take it I, it was just excitement with will he will he will he notice it and will he take me just when I do it yeah. or it was some excitement I asked, and I decided to just do it once and I will pay him back but I didn't do and i i just grow in i I knew and i did it more and more so so when i was moving out from my grandfather at age of 18 19 years old i was lacking a lot of uh, i was lacking a lot of uh, knowledge about how to run a household how to Mm -hmm. pay but how to pay my bills and how to Mm -hmm. uh, create food because I, i was never home with my friends so they they didn't have any kind of uh, impact on me at all so uh, and when i left my grandfather he was uh, i also lose the, the access to his money uh, yeah. and i didn't have any access to any other mother money besides a side job uh, from my uh with my when i was studying at, at the same time but when i got a job as a doorman uh, doorman door at a nightclub yeah yeah as okay. a night yeah yeah so i was um at the, then i was 18 years old and that was a huge uh, progress for me i felt at the time because as a doorman as an 18 years old man um that was a that was a good job um i, I loved the attention from the girls and mm-hmm. and the status that a doorman could have and but in that environment we also had people that are yeah, were doing anabolic steroids to to work out and some of them were smoking weed. Uh, but they, they were regular people, you know. They you not the people that you see on the streets that were abusing heroin or so. So they were normal people. So I thought, well, if they do it, why can't I do it? Because I love the culture to be in it. So I adapted everything in the culture and uh, and that was, that was the first time I stepped over one big border and I started to take amphetamine for the first time at the age of 18, 19 years old.
1: So, you know, you've just started as a doorman, and you've stepped into this sort of
0: Norwegian underworld of, you know, drugs. and yeah. late
1: night. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I would say it, it took me some years because before I was in the underworld, but uh, I, I was living a double life in for many, many years, I would say, mm. because I was raising a family. My kids uh, my kid were at the time just six months um, and I was studying at the daytime and I was also uh, creating my own company. I have uh, my own company and I also get money from the Norwegian innovation authorities because mm. it was a good business idea. So I had a lot of things going on um but working as as a doorman I was doing that as well and uh, starting to do more and more criminal activities in in the nights because that were the place where the money came from
1: yeah okay all right so w- how did that progress so of of course you know you're you're 14 years old you've had your first taste of of addiction that's what it was you're addicted to money you you had that sense of you know the the endorphin rush you've got this money and then that sort of carried on into your your um, you know adult life, and that's completely understandable. So you can't, yeah, as you said, you can't blame it on family or anything like that. But you got you got a, and unfortunately, yeah, you how things were. Your grandfather gave you you know some money. You felt wow, this is this is this is nice. And then that carries on. Now where does that you know you're a doorman, you're 18, you start doing amphetamines. This is where I want to go is how, how does someone who seems to have it all together go from, you know, studying, starting his own company and then crime? Like where, where, where is that? Where, where, where do you start seeing crime as a lifestyle?
0: Well, um, as I told you, I had a double life, I would say from 18 to the age of 24 where I kept up with both lives, I would say. Uh, and at that time, I saw myself not as a criminal. I saw myself as a person that was experimental a bit, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was justifying myself because all great people <laughs> <laughs> with creative skill sets, they always pushing the edge a little bit. And you need to do that to get new things to happen. So I was justifying myself uh, at the time. And, you know, if I just started... Just for example, if I started with uh, using heroin from day one, my, my body would um, deny it. And my mind would deny it because that's too far of a gap, you know, from mm. one, one point to, to another. So I think that the problem would be, and with many other people, they are ju- doing it slowly. Mm. So the body can accept it in a way, because if you go from one border to the next border, there is no much uh, to the next step if you know what I mean so if you go from A to to C without going being Mm -hmm. inside of B that would be too much so I I think that's what's happening because um, because I didn't see myself as a criminal not at all Uh, I didn't at the age of 30 yes I knew I was a criminal but before that I I didn't see myself at that and that's that's a a big problem for me and also because I wasn't there with my parents I think was a big contribution where I ended up Um, and of course I was used to move borders and have done something criminal at the age of 14 because I knew it wasn't right. I yeah. felt inside. Everyone feel when it's not right. Mm. So taking money from my grandfather, yeah, everyone knows that that's not yeah, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so what what like what was a day in the life of your double life? Like you know, you work the door, but then when it comes to the crime sort of crime side of things, what was your, you know, because you you supplied. We'll get into that a bit later, but you supplied guns for a triple homicide. And then you, yeah, you, yeah. you dealing drugs, um, yeah, supplying guns. What, what else? And what was a day in the life for you doing that? Like, cause that's, I don't think my listeners in Australia, we don't particularly have, we have an underworld, but it's, you know, we don't have connection to anyone in that underworld. So I think to have this connection with you, I think to, to get that side of the story, what's a, what's a day in
0: the life of a a career a career criminal <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know it's completely different different uh a different world and uh, it's uh as a parallel parallel world i would say mm. um and, and and to describe it a bit we have we we walk different we speak different we have our own words for something words mm. that expressions that uh, normal people doesn't understand yeah. uh, we can speak in codes okay. and we can change if you come into speaking to normal people outside outside the criminal world uh, we behave different mm. uh, we know yeah just yeah we know what the price of 300, 300 gram with gold a gold mm. necklace what's what's the wor- value of yeah. that but we don't know the value of one liter with milk, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> yeah, 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 we have a complete and, and a transaction system. We can we can switch one gram of amphetamine with um, Let's say at the time, what was yeah, a DVD player? Yeah, <laughs> that was the value. But we didn't change much of a money, you know. And so, yeah, so it's a different world. And um, I from I, I was building up my reputation because I, I saw that I, was, I could be a good criminal in the sense of making money, yeah uh, so I was starting from scratch, of course, and I saw that doing drugs, selling drugs, that mm-hmm. was the most profitable thing I could do in, in the criminal world. Um, so I was at um, uh, I could work um late hours with building up my organization um and i would say we parting at the same time so it was a mix of partying and a mix of working and we could work at party mm. places because we can go into rooms were strictly forbidden for normal party uh, participants mm-hmm. That was only for the criminal persons. And then we can go in, make deals yeah. and try new drugs, uh, give value for that, change uh, information. So when people in, in the living room were partying, they didn't know anything about it, what's happening in, into that room. Um, so I was traveling a lot in, in Europe and I was bringing drugs back to Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't bring it myself, but I was meeting people that could fix it for me. Mm-hmm. And we had people taking care of the borders, so, uh, so no border, border police and so on could stop us. And we had information lines. Mm-hmm. So if there were people, uh, if there were any danger by crossing the border, uh, we had people that could give us information about it. Then we can stop the operation.
1: So this was a, this was a full operation across border lines. Mm-hmm. Like this is the real deal.
0: yeah yeah Yeah. it was and um um, but at the time we also saw that something were more profitable than taking drugs from abroad so that was of course a big risk but we also making ourselves our own drugs and i remember i made what we called ghp it's a liquid drugs and at the time, it wasn't illegal in Norway. That was back in '98, and we made it from from scratch. So we were oh, we yeah. were we had our own laboratories almost, um, where we were cooking this. Yeah, we were in a in a big, I don't know the word in English, but um, when you are making food in it, a uh, um, big uh, uh, a a vat, yeah, a, b- a big pot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so we the were standing up there and, and cooking oh. like this uh, around and around in in the, in the ingredients yeah to make it right uh the right uh, mix and it was a danger with that as well so it could explode this thing yeah. so but the, the profit of this was extraordinarily high um and we i didn't sell it of course to end users i was selling it to like grossist something. Uh, so I had uh, I had many people under me selling to the next level yeah, to yeah. the next level to the next level. Um so I could use uh, I could use I don't know um Australian dollars but I we can say US dollars and you can translate I I can easily use five thousand US dollars a day. Um so that that's with no problems
1: Eight, eight or nine thousand Australian dollars, roughly, give or take.
0: Yeah, yeah. Shit. And um, I didn't buy any milk. To, to, That's <laughs> that, that for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I was using money for, uh, for cars and for uh, luxury and, yeah. And for, for for some years, I was really really good at this. But the thing with me that that tipped me over the line was that I I was using a lot of drugs at, at the same time because. I didn't. I didn't um, manage to to get my down trips. I didn't handle them very good. So yeah. when the drugs were coming out of the body, yeah, 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 I new drugs all the time. So I didn't rest. No time at all. I could be awake for three weeks with no rest at all.
1: Yeah, oh, I think that you know that comes with that lifestyle, and you know, I, I've when I was using um, drugs, I, I think GHB. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I would I tried it once and I would never, ever try it again uh, because it really, really played with me. So for you, like, it just goes to show, you know, your tolerance of using drugs over a period of so long, like it just, you know, you're in that world. So it just goes to show that, that you—you you, this is your life. This is, you are, or, you, or no, you were a career criminal. Um, so moving on from that, you know this. This is the story because I, I looked it up. I I did some reading on it as well. Um, your your alias is you know your alias is the Norwegian gunrunner. So if you want to tell us a bit, you know, I from what I've read, you you supplied guns uh, that were used in a triple homicide, uh, and that was plastered actually internationally
0: yeah yeah and at that time um, my life has started to turn yeah. because my body was really really um uh, tired yeah. using the drugs and i was starting to glip sometimes as a good criminal um yeah. and um doing drugs uh, i was good at that um but i also do did things like s- supplying guns of course because that was a part of the criminal world and guns were for us important in the sense of having the gun just to show off or to take care of each other and if some something uh, was going to happen so i remember that um, one girl she was asking me if uh, i could try to get her some guns and for me at the time it was just regular as yeah doing anything else else Um, so i accepted her request and Mm. i i uh, I ordered uh, six guns, and uh, I received two of them, and she received two of them. And those two weapons um, were used for a triple homicide back in '99, where she, the girl I was delivering it to, uh, were convicted to that, uh, mm-hmm. together with three other uh, people. And you know, it was a huge, huge case back. And it still is uh, over 20 years after because it's, it's uh, um, the girl I was seeing, giving uh, the guns to, she was a half-sister mm. and the half-sister was married to a farmer and they was living on a big, big farm in Norway, great value of the farm and the people that were killed were his father and his sister yeah so so it's all about uh how to i don't know the word in english because it's when people die uh, you will receive their fortune if you are a kid of them yeah, So yeah, they, yeah. yeah so it was all about a lot of millions and uh, norwegian crowner um so so then where um, i was convicted as well i didn't know what the guns were supposed to be used for but I was uh, still still convicted for for using them and uh, at that time I was I was so criminal and instead of using this case as a as a getaway from the criminal world and try to get my life on track again I used it instead uh, as a gateway to strengthen my criminal position in a way because I've lost some authority because I was Becoming a, a, a more of a drug addict than I was, and 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 criminal. So, I used the media. I was going out in the media and telling my side of the story, mm-hmm. and that was working really, really good on my reputation reputation as a criminal. Because no one, I was dealing drugs with after that, uh, dared to not pay me for the drugs I was delivering them. So mm-hmm. my reputation were increasing Mm -hmm. um but uh, still my body was living his own life and was going down 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 at the time it just sounds like like hell (laughs) it really really it just you know it on on paper
1: in theory it sounds like such a lavish lifestyle you know you've got the women you've got the party you've got the drugs um and you know over a period of time it really really takes a toll on the body um now, now going to that you have you've over oh, i'm gonna guess you've overdosed before
0: yeah yeah i i did um at a, when it was at the worst i i had five overdoses with GHB in 14 days so i was at the Ooh. hospital five days or 14 days so and and uh, I also remember that I was driving a car and I was I was fell asleep because GHB makes that to your body if you take yeah. too much you fell asleep and get in an overdose so I I fell asleep when I was driving in a tunnel and I crashed with another car and hit uh, and hurt this meeting car a lot yeah. the only thing I was thinking about were oh where is my GHB I have to I have to take it away before the police comes yeah and okay. that chose what you're thinking you don't care about hurting people yeah and that maybe is the most um the, the yeah the feelings i feel afterwards now is what hurts the most because i didn't care about the three people that get killed as well even though i was oh. delivering the guns the only thing i was thinking yeah. was how can i strengthen my reputation and but first i have to hide my drugs because now the police is coming after me as well so, the feelings that you had, it, it's, it's so difficult to, to explain, but it just shows that the criminal world are thinking completely different and are yeah. a bit selfish. I could say that.
1: Oh, definitely. Oh, oh man, I, get, I think you're doing a really good job of explaining that. Um, you know, now. You, you so you, you got convicted you went to you went to prison well, well, well let's take a step back because i did some more reading and i know there was a point in your criminal life um there's something about a police officer who sat down with you and it was one of one of
0: the changing points for you you know to, to change your life yeah that's for sure and you have to remember and every criminal i would say but I felt especially a big hate to the police because they were yeah. always destroying my my yeah. job but in a way I also respected them um because I knew that they had their job to do um but we didn't like them at all so I was used to handcuffs and and and, and prison and everything but and one one evening I remember I was so tired and um I had, I think I would threatened some persons. I was a nice criminal. And I didn't do anything physical to anyone. But I was good with my with talking. Yeah. And scare people. But I think I've done that that night. And so the police was coming to me. And they were uh, just rambling in my apartment. Three or four police officers. Um, but one of them. Mm. He was instead of arresting me. He was sitting next to me. And uh, I was lying, sitting something like that in my, in my couch and I didn't look good. And he said to me when he was holding his arm around me and he said, hey, herman this doesn't look too good. You look exhausted. Mm. Is there anything I can do to help you? Just tell me what it is. Yeah. And I will see if I can manage to do something about it. And, and that was the first time I felt I wasn't alone. Mm. Because I, I thought about that from time to time. How, how can it change? I know that my body won't take it anymore. I know that I will be dead in just a few years if nothing happens. Um, so, but I, I didn't find any kind of thing that could ignite me and give me the courage and strength to take the first step. But he was doing that at that moment. And he was just sitting for 10 minutes with me and he was looking into my eyes and and i really felt his warmth warmth and he he really cared about me and I, you remember i was a 70 kilo um at the time i was i was yeah my my arms were uh, full of needle sticks mm. from my from my uh, i don't mm-hmm. know the english word uh, you have to help me oh, yeah. injections and, uh, injections oh, yeah. of course uh, so my body was complete, I was blue and yeah. So that changed everything, not at the moment, but that was the thing, the, 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 um, the situation that, that um, led me, when I met the next important person in my life and in my recovery, the policeman story was that that gave me the foundation, the ignition that I needed to to utilize the next helping person in my story. Mm. So it was a fantastic moment and I re- I remember I cried. Uh, so this policeman has a it's a huge huge thank you from from me to him. He showed
1: you some love like uh, and you know that yes. like again and, and and I've said this in, in in past podcasts and I say this to a lot of people you know w- some of a lot of us are hurting a lot of us in this world are hurting and all it takes is that one conversation uh, to be shown that you know that someone cares you know for me when I was going through my depression I was taken by my manager into uh, for lunch and and he told me that he, he loved me he cared about me and that was the that was the moment in my life I went I don't have to do this depression thing alone anymore I you know someone cares someone fucking cares about me and you know yeah uh, it's it's really really beautiful and you know i and going on from that you met one so the second person that that was you know showed you some more love was
0: yeah that was a a prison inspector an officer in prison a, a, a lady a small tiny lady you know And (laughs) um, at the time, this was just six months after the policeman story because I didn't change my life completely when I met the policeman. I I still carried on, but Mm. I had this episode in my head. Uh, So the next time I was arrested and brought to prison, I was arrested for a long time. Uh, And um, this uh, woman, uh, she was talking to me and, and she was instead of talking to me in prison, because in prison I was not acceptable for her let's say, trying to bring me good um, rehabilitation thoughts mm. because I had a reputation to take care of in the prison. But she was taking me out of the prison and walking with me in the streets of Molde. And, you know, at the time, I was the gun runner and was a famous criminal. Yeah. And she was walking with me with no guards, with no handcuffs, just right. like normal people. And I remember that conversation so good. And, and she said... Well, I'm on, I have noticed that you like to help people yeah. because I see that you help the other prisoners with r- writing applications for everything. And you're a good writer and many of those prisoners are not good writers and you, you help them in a lot. Maybe you should be a social worker. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, what? Yeah. Are you crazy? Do you want me to be a social worker? All those people I have met, this has been terrible social workers. They don't know how I feel. No. You are crazy, Mette, I told her, and we were just walking one minute with silence before I stopped and turned against her, and I said, Mette, well, I think I will be a social worker, and I will be the best social worker in the world, <laughs> I told her, I'm still carrying this courage uh, and bold yeah. um, thoughts about myself, um, as, because we had that as a criminal. And that was the time where I decided to change. And she was helping me with getting into the right rehab departments in different prisons. And from there, I I was in rehab outside prison and um, I was starting to to educate myself. So I was doing three years as a social worker. Mm -hmm. And then I met my third important person because now I had to get a job because I didn't have any CV at all. My CV can't completely just the track record of criminal activities Mm -hmm. and who would hire an ex-criminal with a famous criminal face. But I was applying for a job as a debt advisor in the Norwegian (laughs) public (laughs) parliament. And, you know, I had, um, I have to say US dollars again, I had, I had 200,000. Uh, dollars, US dollars in in debt. When I was applying for the job as a debt advisor, so
1: that's nearly that half. Was... Oh,
0: four hundred and something
1: thousand Australian dollars, which is
0: yeah, it's a uh, lot. And, okay. and the interest of that debt was twenty percent a year. So mm. I was sitting there applying for the job, and she. Kari, that person, she gave me the job, uh, you know. And after that, it's just been a fairy tale, I would say, and not a fairy tale, but it has been an adventure for me, because when I get this job in the Norwegian public government, I was working 15 years there. The f- first 10 years as a debt advisor, and the last five years I was working as a national leader for personal finances in the Norwegian public government. Wow. Um, working with, yeah, I was training people, um, um, training people that were meeting people in all kinds of troubles in their life, sick people, uh, unemployed people, um, people with, um, yeah, low income and everything. Yeah. So it was, it was quite a contrast. Well,
1: uh, man, like just just to go from you know a hardened ex criminal to what you're doing now is is seriously amazing. Um, so I, I want to change gears here a bit. Uh, now, I want to go back to when you were in prison. Now, I know for a fact Norway's recidivism rates or, you know, people who um, re- or go back, or, or they commit more crimes after they're released is, is if not the lowest in the world. Like I, I I don't yeah I don't think it compares to anywhere else. So did they have a? Uh, I know I I know in Norway they have a, a very whole, a strong stance of re- rehabilitating inmates. Now compared to you, I don't know if we can compare it to the US because I think per hundred thousand citizens of the US three hundred no three thousand are incarcerated. I think Norway is 63 for every 100,000 or something like that. Um, So what what do you think, especially when it comes to inmates and rehabilitating people, where where do you stand? What do you see as the solution for that?
0: Well, uh, I I can honestly just speak for myself and from the Norwegian side of it. Um, I do think i do think we have a, a lot of things that are um, valuable in in the sense of rehabilitation because that's honestly what the prisons all is all about trying to get people to not getting back there yeah. and for me it was in in the beginning when i was when i was um, um getting into prisons i just used it as as many other countries, um, I I used it to create connections with other criminals. I was doing drugs inside um, um, and just resting my body and getting it ready for the next criminal adventure, you know. But when I was ready, when I was ready, because I had to hit the rock bottom, Mm. then I, I saw what potential the system had and they were facilitating they were making uh, making uh, things that I dreamt about possible so I think that um, I think it's a big possibilities in the Norwegian prison system the correction system um, in a way that I, I I do like but there is also big big lacks here in uh, in Norway and um, I, I could bring a lot of um, feedback to the prison, yeah. um, uh, the prison society, um, and the governments there, how they could change it and even make it better. Because we do have a lot of prisoners that are coming back as well. But um, for me, it was that was the thing that I needed because I, in a way, even if you could get drugs, you needed to work more for it. But so when you decided to, well, now I'm going to change my life. That distance. To the drugs and distance to the criminal world was really really good for me.
1: Yeah, uh, okay, that makes that that just puts it into perspective a bit more. Um, now you know you're out of you're out of prison, of course. Um, you so I'm I'm gonna have a guess. You had some mental health bouts in prison. I, I'm guessing you you had some really serious issues with with depression. I, I'm gonna have a guess, especially with coming down from such a high and and the drugs and and everything that's gone on in your in your body you know it's flushed itself out now what you know you're out of prison Uh, where 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 does this start you've got this new job and and things seem to be looking up so there must have been some sort of um equilibrium there to, to level itself out
0: yeah yeah and i still have some kind of issues um that are I would say is, uh, is addressed by my previous, um, from my past, of course, and mm. um, but I, I have I have now learned how to deal with it uh, in a way that it doesn't affect me much more. Um, but in the first years were first years after my recovery were, of course, um, it was hard, and and the drugs stop doing the drugs were were not the hardest part at all. That was all about the physical health the mental health and identity because with arman without money who who is he Mm -hmm. i have money from the age of 13 you know so i was dressing up with money Mm -hmm. and now and i can use so much money as a criminal and now i had to yeah when i was doing my recovery i remember i had after my rental was paid i had five 100 us dollar which is now 800 us uh, australian dollars, something yeah, like that something like that uh, so i had to i had to have this money for a whole month and that was really really difficult so i i my biggest lesson life lesson where that i i learned to ask for help i learned that if I'm going to do this my recovery with all those mental issues and all the self-esteem issues and everything I needed to ask for help and I did that I went from a criminal person that didn't open his mouth ever you know because that was a, that was the work ethic we, we don't mm-hmm. speak we don't talk and I went from being that person to a person that said well I don't i can't do this i need help can you please help me mm-hmm. teach me how i can do that uh, teach me that how can um, yeah so so that was and and i met these extraordinary people that just said of course i'm going to help you i'm going to help you and i made in a way the right choices um, uh, from every from year to year that made me come from one step to the next level mm. and to the next level and the next level um, so by telling my story and asking for help that was the thing that really really helped me through bumpy roads uh, afterwards because everyone wants to help you know and everyone you know um if you can see on, on the flip not flip side but on the other side if i have met a person that asked me for help i would be honored if mm, i could be that person to yeah. get him out of debt or getting out of criminal the world so so people love to help it's all about dare to ask for help and those policemen the policemen i talked about and uh, the the manager that gave me the job and the prison inspector they all had these extraordinary qualities they showed courage uh, and warmth and they did something extraordinary, extraordinary things that I didn't expect. Just mm. walking with me in the streets of Molda, sitting next to me and take care of me instead of just arresting me. He, he took a big chance, you know, I think. Because, um, yeah. So with with those meetings, I learned it's not difficult or at least I can try to ask for help because there are people there that wants to help me. And that has been a a life changer for me so i'm trying now with my professional life to do the same repay i try to sorry
1: right you want to repay it back you want to give it back
0: yeah yeah i want to do it back because i want to be that person that people can trust and yeah. ask for help and i really really love to be that person that could give persons that help which is needed because life are too precious to to get broken because of unnecessary barriers, you know, Mm. I don't dare to ask for help, but it's so hard at the same time. So how do we break this? I call it the helping paradox.
1: I I know exactly. And and this is something that comes up, especially with me in this space of mental health. All it takes is to ask for help, but how do you ask for help? And, And I think it's people like us, who are taking and leading from the front people who have been there people who have been in the depths of depression or drug abuse or or any addiction whatsoever and we're the people that are showing other people in our in our old position that it's it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to you know take that first step it might be hard but but you know you're doing it like out of all people, you know, look like, look at what you're doing now. Like this is where I want to go with this is you're now doing Ted talks of why you should hire ex criminals, which I I, I completely and utterly agree with. I I watched it a couple of times because it's, it's great. I completely understand where you're coming from with that. So if you want to elaborate on that a bit more um, briefly and just, just explain why we should, why? Why should Australians?
0: Why should anybody
1: around the world hire ex criminals?
0: Yeah, because that they could be your best, uh, your best. Uh, uh, what's the employer mm. um, employee? Yeah, it could be your best employee. And I think you should not hire an ex criminal out of charity. Yeah, yeah. Because right. that would never, that would never, be a success. Uh when when um Kari, the, the manager that give, gave me the job in first place, she asked me two questions. And that was really, really powerful questions because she asked me, What have you learned in the criminal world? Yeah. What have you learned? And the second question was, What what yeah, from from that from the things that you have learned, how could that help us with um with the delivering um with, with helping us yeah, with yeah. delivering our mission with giving public services to to the to the people so in she was instead of looking for my legs she was she was looking for my gold i call it in my c v because mm. I have done something that was uh, that was she was looking for so she can transform them um, into positive things. Yes. So, in, in a way, there is... You know, when I was meeting criminal peoples at all times, I needed to be good with people. When, when you wake up every day, Kent, uh, you are, a, a, I would say, the same person every time. So, we know how you mm-hmm. would re- respond every morning. You would say, hello, yeah. how are you today? Smile and everything. But with a criminal... He's not that person every day because he uses amphetamine one day. He uses cocaine the next day. So you always had to, how is, how is Armand today? Is he, is he dangerous for me mm. or is he a friend today or how, how should I react? I, I was an expert in reading the room in yeah, a way. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so I, I, I was, I had, in a way I was very good in interpersonal skill sets yeah and good with people good with listening good with reading the room so i was that was one example um and i also very used to work under uncertain uh, situations yeah. i was used to work in teams i was also used to work independently yeah i also didn't go home at 4 p.m <laughs> I was doing my job until the job was done mm. and I was good at risk, even though the drugs were um, yeah, misleading my judgment from time to time. Uh, I was also good at judging the consequences and you know, the punishment for doing a bad job is way mm. harder here in, in, uh, in the criminal world than any employer or anyone else can give to you so you needed to do the job correctly and efficient and um, i would also say that i love to you know today the work life demands of you that you are uh, um, strong in changing things because the job tasks are changing all the time you know and i am an expert in changing environments so mm-hmm. i love the change even I, I get because i get bored if it's it's too regular yeah and of course loyalty trust yeah uh, and gratitude it's so important because i felt this enormous gratitude for bringing me to the normal work life um so i feel forever grateful and it's easy to please me yeah, because I know what what's the alternative it could be. So I would say I, I I would encourage every uh leader to to um, be curious on those sides hmm. on the ex criminal uh, skill sets. But we have to turn it, of course, uh, in a positive way. And you need to get a lot of things in order before yeah. you can get into job. You have to, yeah, it's a lot of things we have to do. But, you, you know, you're, you're,
1: you're paving that path right now. And again, just keep doing what you're doing because it is amazing, you know, and, and there's probably stories out there that you don't even know about that, that, you know, there is a criminal that got hired. Exactly. And very similar stories to yours. Um, so to, you know, in a way, not, not wrap this up just yet, I still want to ask about um, one more thing. And, and I think this is a running theme with you. You're a people person you love people. Now, what you've done recently, um, I think it was, you know, uh, I think it mixes in with mental health. It uh, was your tour de wave. And you you just finished that up, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago. Um, so walk us through that. What was that about? I, I know, you know, you, 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 you found running as well.
0: Um, and we can get into that as well. But yeah, well, what was the tour de wave? well toward the way is it's a is a smile and run charity event that I created uh, last year um, and that is where I, I run uh, for a long time um, where I smile and wave to everyone I meet yeah. um, and that initiative I created because I was um, I was quitting my job as a public uh, as a, as a um, in, in a public government, a safe and secure job in the first of February 2020, just six yeah. weeks before the pandemic. Yeah, and I was starting to become a public speaker, and you know, everyone that's yeah, lives of gathering people, we have bad times. So suddenly I get unemployed myself. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, how can I change this insecure situation to do something good for others? And because I knew that many people were afraid of the pandemic, they didn't get out and they didn't uh, exercise and everyone was inside. They don't smile and behind the mask and everything. So I was was thinking, okay, how can I be a bit selfish with running for myself, but also do something good for others? Uh, So I was creating this tour the way where I was, yeah, did did what I just said uh, and uh, run for five stages, five days. 200 kilometers, and I counted how many smiles I was um, delivering out. And I was also doing good deeds um, on the different stages. Speaking with kindergartens, with schools, with patient group, helping people with different um, neighborhood stuff. Uh, And this created also a lot of attention from the media. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing I wanted to do is to see that a smile is the first step mm. towards um, a conversation with someone. Mm. And this conversation could lead to openness. And openness can solve problems. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to yeah, bring to the table, don't forget to smile. <laughs> even if it's hard times, yeah. please do smile. And people need that smile and the eye contact and the smile because it shows you're not alone in the world. I see you. We yeah. are we are together in this, even if it's hard for both of us. Uh, so this has been a tradition. Now I've done it for the second time, and I I try to do it next year as well. And now it's even longer. Now it's five hundred kilometers from Trondheim to Oslo. Uh, it's a lot more people involved, and I have people in my staff now um, carrying social media and and I'm I'm working. I'm also running with mayors in the uh, villages I passed through. So they are running with me to create awareness about mental health, um, running, and friendliness. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh, I love, I
1: really, really love that. And that uh, you, you made a really good point. All it takes, as I said, yeah, all it takes is a smile. All it takes yes. is, is that first conversation. And no, that's, that's really, it's beautiful. It's really, really, I, I you start off with positivity and you end with positivity. And, you know, when it comes, well, first of all, let's just go back to the, you ran two, either way, you still ran 200 kilometers in fight. Like that's like, regardless, that's
0: a long way. And I didn't run all the way, but almost. Yeah. Okay. (laughs)
1: Either way, that's a It's a, it's a long way on foot. Yeah. Now with running, what did did you find running helped you with that, did, like with, with your mental health? You know, did you use running as a as a as a tool?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, hundred uh, percent. And and um, because um, I, I came from a tradition where we we hated runners because we are doing uh, anabolic steroids and it's all about being looking good and big mm-hmm. muscles and everything. So me being a runner. I, no it wasn't in the mindset at all but um when i started to run the first time i felt these endorphins
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i knew that this was really good even though i run at a very low pace um but the running environment and, and the running clubs also took good care of me and they didn't judge me because i was an ex-criminal they were just taking me into their world and they're giving me tips and tricks and and uh, and you know uh and I guess it was because I was not a competitor to them because <laughs> I was very, I was a very low pace, but, uh, but uh, it was a fantastic thing. And uh, now I use running, not every day, but uh, five times a week. And yeah. I do I do uh, triathlons, I do uh, half marathons and sometimes marathons. Um, and I can have, I guess you have heard and you have experienced runners high Kent. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can need that before i start running i could start cry just doing my laces because i know that i can start run whenever i want and i couldn't do that when i was in prison so i have runners high before i start you can just think how good it is when i run 10k after
1: Mm. like that for me this morning you know i i got up and i was like i've got to go for a run and it, for me sometimes especially with the mornings and you've had a bad night's sleep because the kids have kept you up all night and I went ah stuff it I'll go for a run halfway through the run I just got like I started off very like sluggish and then I was like I don't want to do this and then suddenly energy and I'm like I you know get the job done you know let's do it let's finish the run come home and I'm Talking to the family and kids like I'm on drugs, and it's the you know, and that's the <laughs> power of running. It can it can literally change your day, and it, it's not from the endorphins because, you know, and you know, with drugs you need to keep taking it. With running, all it takes is one run, and you could be you could be set for the rest of the week. So, it's such a powerful tool, I think, uh, for anybody. Work ex criminal, not ex criminal. I think running is something that is so natural to us as humans and yeah i I think it's beautiful and i I can't wait to see your you know next year when you do this um, tour de wave to see how much more traction you get
0: yeah and and the other beautiful part with running is that you can meet people and 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 at the at the time you can smile and and wave to people as well and that's also very good for my mental health and that's why i also created this um uh, Instagram account where I share tips and tricks um, for being a more friendly runner. And I think we need that now in, into uh, this uh, world. Uh, we need to, because when we are out running, why can't we just smile and say yeah. hello to people we meet? Yeah. We are still out there. So why can't we do that? And uh, I know runners, they have, many of them have a lot of stories from themselves because they, yeah. they do run for some reason, you know? And I have experienced that runners are extraordinary friendly people Uh, so why can't you just smile and say hello so that's why i've created uh, the group the friendly runners so i i suggest you can check it out uh, and and see my my tips and tricks about how to become more friendly runners i i'll I'll put all that in the um in the show notes
1: anyway so where can where can uh, my audience find you where can they connect
0: with you where can they see you as a person for who you are yeah, I'm um, I'm on an Instagram, um, and that's my name, my Arman Vesta, and I guess you put it that in in the show notes also, as well, so you can connect with me there. Cool. But I also have a web page that is uh, ArmanV.no, um, so you can yeah you can follow me, what I'm doing, and. Um, I'm also trying now to get on the international public speaking stage uh, to get out and oh, talk you about will. That.
1: I, I I know you will. You will definitely, and I can't wait to see that. It might take another <laughs> couple years, but it will be an honor to see you get on that uh, that circuit because you your your story. I honestly think my audience will love this podcast. I really do, because of you know, you, you were at the depths of hell. And look at what you're doing now. You, you are changing people's lives. You really and truly are. It's, it's fucking amazing. It really, really is. No, seriously. You, you. you uh, These are the stories I love. And I, I love the underdog story, the guy that got his shit together and changed his life because he needed to change his life. I love it. Absolutely love it.
0: I think you can't. And, I would also just um, finally say to people that if you understand that this walk to the bus stop or to the grocery or to the shop could have the possibility in it to change people's life, but because that's all it takes. One conversation, five, ten minutes. If you meet a person that have a bad day, mm. 10 minutes with a talk at the bus stop could potentially help this person to get a better day. And that, when you realize the potential you have as a have as a as a human being in helping others, mm. it's it's a beautiful thought, and, and that makes it even better to go up to the bus stop.
1: <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, so look, what, we'll wrap this up. Um, what do you have planned for the future? What 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 do you you know you want to you want to be in the international circuit? You want to do another. Uh, to the wave what else what else do you you want to achieve affect and and,
0: and affect people's lives well um i i love being on stage yeah. so i i my my main uh, focus would be at stage um, norwegian stages but also international stages where i can have a 500 or 1000 people in, in in the audience where right. i can get them to feel what it takes to help other people just by showing me that that it's possible to change your life and they need to understand that it's possible to change every life and what small things that they can do so that when i walk out of there they will have this perspective on well now i'm going to see differently on persons i meet Mm -hmm. i have get some new insights now new perspectives i don't i won't look I won't look at this person as a criminal, I will look at him as uh, a person with potential. A human. I call them talents, mm. a human a talents. So that is even better for me than helping one-to-one because that's not scalable for me. So I want to do it in a bigger scale um, so I can get 500 people to do the same thing when they leave me. Mm. And that could possibly change so much more lives. But with my story as the root, the foundation, I think it could be possibly uh, many, many good years coming oh. in front. And of course, the most important part, helping my kids to get to grow up uh, so they yeah. they can be the persons that I would love them to be. So they will, will not become like I was mm-hmm. and um, try to get them to be persons that are there to ask for help if life is a struggle sometimes and maybe the best part that they could help others how they can become helpers of others if they struggle
1: oh that's beautiful that's really that's nice that's really nice and i i, I think you're going to do not not i think you are going to do extremely well i i promise you as i said your story is amazing you are an amazing human and i think to to end this on a, on a bang I, I, this seems to be a running thing with with this podcast. If there is something you could tell your kids or or your younger self or or anyone struggling out there what 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 is one thing a life takeaway or something you've learned over your years
0: um, that could help people out of that darkness? Oh that's a big question, but i I think that would be. I think it, we ha- I have to go back to the help to ask for help again, um, because instead of see the aspect of asking for help as a as a burden to someone, mm-hmm. because we we feel maybe that we are a burden to someone that we're not people don't understand us and we feel shame and everything because we can't take care of ourselves. Don't see it as a burden. Mm. You have to see it as you're doing someone a favor you're doing a favor because people wants to help you and they will be honored and feeling proud of that you dare to ask for help to just them mm. so that changed the perspective for me when i realized that so yeah i would say that's the just that's the most powerful help. thing mm. yeah to dare to ask for help and don't think you're a burden but you do someone a favor at the same time so it's a win-win situation yeah ah love it love it love it man i really
1: really really enjoyed talking to you today or for you this morning for me evening um i'm very very humbled because you know I, I could keep saying, I could, I could just keep giving you compliments, man. Like I appreciate you taking the time out of your morning to do this with me. Um, you know, I know we, especially with time zones and trying to to sort this out has been a bit of an issue. And, you know, it, I think that was all well worth the wait. I'm, I'm just absolutely honored to, to be able to do this with you. I really, really truly am. And you are changing lives. You are absolutely changing lives. And I, fucking can't wait to see what you do in the future and what you're doing now
0: absolutely like peace and love to you man really really appreciate it oh thank you kent i'm, I'm humbled to, to be here and grateful very grateful thanks um but yeah
1: if you guys want to check out Armin, i will put his uh, stuff in the show notes and look peace love thank you <laughs>